0: say, when I was about 16 or 18, which was a while ago, I, I made du'a. I said, oh, look, let, please let me serve your religion, your deen. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know what format that will look like. Again, yeah, yeah. there was no specific yeah, goals, yeah. but just take me in that direction that you would be pleased with. as
1: Hello. This is Your Truth is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Nadira Razak. I am a wife, a mother, a seeker. And a life and business coach. This podcast is about tuning in to that small, quiet voice within that urges you to really follow your soul's calling. And this podcast aims to bring you solo episodes and interviews with other special humans who have followed this calling, no matter how out of the box it may have been. Share stories about how God's grace is working through their lives and how they have the courage to really put one foot in front of the other and build a life that is fulfilling, meaningful, and filled with a sense of play and wonder. I started this podcast because I was at a point in my life where I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve as a coach, yet something still felt missing. I knew I wanted to feel utterly and truly alive and connected to other beautiful human beings. This podcast helps you navigate this quest where you feel like you've arrived and now there's a whisper that this isn't it. There's chaos again and you have to start over. This is about new beginnings Pivots and finding those breadcrumbs of delight and surprise along life's journey. And I hope that you will tune in, whether it's on your walk on your drives, going to the gym, however it is that you listen to this podcast. I hope it sparks something in you so that you get the courage to just go for your dreams, to trust those moments of insight and alignment so you can take action on the things that matter to you. I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and keep in touch with me about the things that are on your heart so we can have a conversation about navigating this beautiful thing called being a human. Asalaamu Alaikum, everybody. Welcome to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. I am your host, Nadira Razak. Today, I have a very special guest who's been in my world for quite a few years now. I feel like she pops up on my Facebook feed. She'll say, you know, there'll be a beautiful reel on Instagram. But before that, I actually connected with Dr. Zaleha Keskin, who is here with us today um, at my local masjid, the Ummah Center in Doncaster, because um, they had put out a call out saying there was this talk um, about spiritual space in a world of pace. And I was just in the throes of motherhood where my kids were still very young. Not all of them were in school yet. And I knew I needed to be there. And that's when that was my first introduction to Dr. Zaleha doing her community outreach, where she was invited to give a talk. And I'm going to introduce her to you formally. Dr. Zaleha is the Associate Head of School at the Center for Islamic Studies and Civilization, Charles Sturt University. She's also a lecturer in Islamic spirituality. Zaleha is the co-founder of Isra Academy, the editor-in-chief of the Australian Journal of Islamic Studies, and president of Australian Association of Islamic and Muslim Studies. Zaleha completed her PhD on the topic of attaining inner peace in Islam, which she then published as a book. Her research in this space has also inspired her to develop the Graduate Certificate in Islamic Psychology through Charleston University. Zuleyha's community outreach is through frequent requests to do talks on Islamic issues in the wider community. She has more than 20 years' experience in teaching to a range of audiences. And if you want to follow her, she's on Instagram at Dr. Zuleha Keskin um, and on Facebook as Zuleyha Keskin. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> Dr. Zuleha. Dear, lovely to be here. You know, one thing that really... Um, comes across just from your essence and your persona is, is that you embody peace. I feel like Mm -hmm. I remember being, I had a vulnerable moment after you had, you know, had that talk at the Umma center and maybe you were just going around the room asking people what they got out of, uh, the talk or what stirred up. Um, and for me, I recognize, like, I actually put my hand up and I didn't realize I would go that way. But I said something like, I think I'm neglecting my children. Like, it was really deep. Like, I didn't even realize maybe my whole persona and my focus was in, like, the business world and making money or or the commercial aspect of life. And at that point, it was like something in your talk got me to connect with what the real priority was. And it was like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, guiding my heart to go, okay the spotlight really right now is your kids. And I remember then connecting, you know, with some other, the mum next to me, like, you know, kind of tapped me on the shoulder because I wasn't, I didn't think that was going to come out. And I think I had a tear or two as well. So I just want to say that I think the way you communicate and and sometimes like it can seem like, you know, we're just doing a talk and you probably prepared whatever you wanted to do that day and set your intention. And you never know how it's going to land in the hearts of the people in your audience that's very true yeah could you share how you even got to that realization that that was the topic that you wanted to write about share about do your research on because like inner peace like it feels like such a cliche term but it's so important how did you wrap your head around and your heart around that, that that that's what you wanted to do
0: yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a process, uh, Nadira. So I wouldn't, yeah, it's not like I woke up one day and thought, oh, I want to talk about inner peace. Everyone's talking about it or no one's talking about it. I guess, um, you know, I, I realised that we have a lot of people who are searching and yearning and wanting to have peace in their heart, and I guess, you know, I was like that too. Um, and at the same time, I realised that Islam provided me a lot of that peace and that comfort. That I was searching for. Um, and I, I guess I wanted to explore that and delve into that a bit more deeply. What was it about Islam that was making me feel at peace? Um, and I guess, and, and so I started to think deeper and deeper about it. And And I had done my Master of Islamic Studies and I really wanted to do my PhD in Islamic studies. And then and it- did
1: you do that in Australia, Dr. Zaleha? Because you have Turkish roots, right? I do, and yeah. And so
0: were you born here? Or I, was you- born- yeah, I was born here. So my parents migrated in 1970. So it was a while ago. And so I was born here, but, you know, there was a very strong Turkish cultural presence in the family. Um, and, yeah, so I have my Turkish background, but I was actually born here, grew up here, did my schooling here, and uh, here, meaning Sydney, right? Sydney was where you. That's in Australia, uh-huh. Sydney. That's right. So in Sydney, I did my schooling, uh, my university. I even did my, I guess, masters at Sydney University. And then I moved to Melbourne about eight years ago. Um, and I, I was um, completing my PhD when I moved, and I pretty much finalized it here. And what's interesting is I did my. Um, uh, I was doing my PhD through Melbourne. Uh, and then I ended up moving to Melbourne and uh, attending my graduation in Melbourne while I was living in Melbourne. Yeah. So so so
1: was there such a thing as a Master of Islamic Studies in the University of Sydney before like this Charles Sturt yeah. part came exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Char- you were the right. co-founder? Charles Sturt uh,
0: did not exist at the time because um I yeah, at the time they did have a Master of Art in brackets open bracket islamic and arabic studies close bracket so i it doesn't exist anymore wow. uh, but at the time it did exist and that's that was pretty much the only university that had such a degree it did focus more on political islam uh, middle eastern uh, studies but it was you know it was the closest thing i could find and i mean it was very good as in it got me particularly immersed in being able to write because my undergrad degree was not something completely different. It was in
1: pharmacy, wasn't it?
0: It was in pharmacy.
1: I, re- I vaguely yeah. remember you revealing that little tidbit about yourself. Yeah. And so yeah. so you actually worked in community pharmacy I for did. a while before you started searching and went, I want to further my studies, or how did that happen? Yeah.
0: There was a huge overlap in that I was working as a pharmacist, but at the same time I was doing a lot of community work. So I was, um, I had done a lot of self-learning in my Especially late teens and twenties, where I was reading a lot, attending a lot of halakhas. and as a result, I started to do actual teaching at um, Auburn Mosque, local right. mosque, local mosque in um, in Sydney. And was that in uh, Arabic or Islamic studies in, or both? Uh, English, uh, Islamic studies, okay. in English, but yeah, it was in Islamic studies. So things like overview of Islam, Islamic worldview. Right. So I was doing those kind of uh, classes. Um, because I guess I had that foundation. As I said, I had done a lot of self-learning. Um, but then I thought, oh, well, I, I really should do some studies in this space, official studies,
1: right? To right. like put a stamp on it.
0: Yeah, like. <laughs> that's right. You know, qualifications to it. And that's how I started doing the Master of Islamic Studies at Sydney University. So there was a big time where there was an overlap between me, you know, sort of going towards Islamic studies, but also um, working as a pharmacist.
1: And where were the kids and marriage and all of that in that? Oh, so, yeah. so did you have young kids when you were doing the masters or was that later down
0: the track? I did. My daughter was probably about two when I started doing my, <laughs> and I it was a challenge, I have to say. Um, so I, I've got two children. So my son was probably about six and my daughter was two. So juggling working. As a pharmacist, it wasn't full-time but um, probably about three or four days a week yeah. uh, and studying where it was on site, not like today where you had, you know, the online yes. going to uni uh, and, yeah, studying and doing community work and having two kids. A it was a frantic part of
1: my life. I would how, did, how did you do that juggle? Did you have extended family where you could keep the kids think- with grandparents and that sort of thing? Or how did you <laughs> manage yep. the childcare situation to be on site?
0: I have to say, yeah, it would have been a struggle without the support. My husband was very supportive. He was very, he was very good with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a lot of, you know, one-on-one quality time with their dad. Um, but also my in-laws were, you know, they lived like a street away.
1: Oh, wow. That's- See how yeah. Alice Monatela, like kind of plants these, you know, Moments of grace where, yes, you're going through something difficult, but yeah. you look for the ease. It's like not everybody would have had access to that, but it's like you were meant to do this. So you were given the resources and yeah. assets like they're yeah. just in the
0: next street. <laughs> yeah, that's to, right. It made that. it so much easier. They, they were just so close. Yeah. And there was just they loved having the children around. Um and so I felt comfortable and the kids loved going to their grandparents obviously <laughs> and spend time with them as well because they would get spoiled. Yeah. Uh, so it just worked. It worked. It still was hard, but there was, as you said, within that hardship, there was ease. Yeah,
1: and so the masters took what about two years or how long Probably does it masters long, take?
0: Three four years because I was wow. doing part time because okay. I was doing it with everything else. Yeah. Um. So three to four years it did take for me to finish my masters. Yeah.
1: And how? How did you go from that? It's like, okay, you've completed your Masters of Islamic Studies at Sydney University to when I read your bio, it's like all those accomplishments, subhanAllah, like it's not like a run-of-the-mill kind of bio, right? It's like there's leadership positions and all of that. And I look at you, you're like so beautifully flowy and feminine. You're not like one of those hard taskmasters. Like even the way you speak, it's so... it's it's like very soft-spoken, very approachable. How does, like, tell me about the Dr. Zaleha who kind of went from that Masters of Islamic Studies to having, did you have a vision to do this or was it like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, planting seeds for you that you had to grab onto? What was that like going from completing that to,
0: yeah, this evolution? (laughs) Yeah, good question. It's Mm -hmm. something I've thought about often, in the sense that I, uh, I'm not very big on setting huge goals. And a lot of the time I think, what's wrong with me? You know, why aren't <laughs> I setting goals? Uh, I am quite a process driven person. Yeah. And maybe that's the, if I can plug the Atomic Habits book really resonated with me for that reason. It's yeah. about, in a way, I feel like it's about chipping away at it. And so I would always be what well, I guess one of the things I would always try to do things with is excellence mm-hmm. you know whatever I did I would try to do it with excellence um and you know I guess as you said there was that planting of seeds is going along like even when I was doing my masters it was really I had no idea where I would it wasn't like I'm doing my master's because I want to become associate head of school, or, you know. At exactly.
1: And I love that. It's like you were doing it because there was some sort of inner desire to want to do it. That's right, yeah. And the curiosity.
0: Exactly. And that,
1: but not the outcome. Like this yeah. is going to lead me somewhere. Like you didn't know where it was going to lead you. I didn't. Yeah, exactly. Like you yeah. focused on what was in front of
0: you. Yeah, what was in front of me, what I felt I needed to do then, there and then, and then seeing where that takes me. And I also I have to say, when I was about sixteen or eighteen, which was a while ago, I, I made dua. I said, "Oh, look, let please let me serve your religion, your dean." I don't know how. I don't, know, I don't know, how know what format that will look like. Again, yeah, yeah. there was no specific yeah, goals, yeah. but just take me in that direction that you would be pleased with. I, I that was I still remember that dua that I made, and then it was basically then just chipping away at it, whatever came my way. So even today, I think to myself, okay, I'm in this position, but tomorrow, if, if I had to completely change and Allah put me in a place where no one knew about me, but I had, that's what he wanted from me. I would be happy with that because it's his will. I think that that's his will and that's what would please him. And that's, that's my drive to serve him the way he would want me to serve him and his community or his people, you know, his creation, basically. So that was probably, um, one of my main drivers. But again, I had never visualized what that would look like um, and how it would manifest itself in 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. It just, um, whatever came my way, I, If it, I saw it as a door opening to the direction I needed to go in. I felt I should go in. Yeah. I would do it. Yeah. I
1: love that in your story, Dr. Zaleha, because I feel like for a lot of people who, you know, we get taught um, maybe just from a personal development perspective that doesn't have the Islamic lens of being process-driven or anything like that, um, there's a lot more I have to do it and I must figure it out. And it's very heady, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a lot of pressure on the person trying to do it. And what I loved about what you did was it was a very general dua that encompassed mm-hmm. everything Um, But then it it almost feels like it takes the pressure off, but there is a lot of trust and surrender. And like, those are big words and their concepts. It's easy to say that, you know, you can do that, but doing it in the everyday can sometimes be challenging. What would you say to someone who maybe has made the dua, but um, their everyday is, you know, there's no evidence that it's lining up. What would you say to someone, like, how do you find peace in that? in-between state when you're in transition or the thing isn't there yet and it
0: hasn't arrived how do you do that everyday dance (laughs) and it does happen there are you know there are times when you think um you know am i where i need to be so that kind of discomfort is not bad either i think if we're too much in our comfort zone it's it's a problem yeah a level of discomfort The surrendering is important, but at the same time, constantly asking yourself, am I doing my bit? Am I doing what I need to do? Um, you know, like, am I tying my camel?
1: Like,
0: am I tying my camel? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think particularly, like you mentioned, young children, that was an area time I probably could, um, you know, could have valued more so, you know, in hindsight. Because you learn so many skills as a mother, young mother especially, and I'm, sh- you know, those skills have come into play in so many different ways later on. It always reminds me of, um I, I don't know if it's this Karate Kid. This is wax on, wax off. <laughs> yes, on. I love that scene. I think it's so that, wonderful. <laughs> I think of that so many times because he wants to go into the tournament and fight. In the tournament. <laughs> yes. So I mean, how amazing he is, and then he's got to do this wax on for hours and hours, and he's like why am I doing this? I want to actually do that. And I feel like a lot of the time in our lives, we have to do a lot of that wax on wax up because it builds skills. Oh, I love that.
1: That is such a good metaphor and an image. Everybody has to go watch Karate Kid again. (laughs) That'll be their little summer, summer challenge or spring. And it looks
0: so dull and boring when he's doing, actually doing it. It's like all he's doing is just waxing Oh, first he's got to scrub the, you know, the the, the fence. I believe from memory, and then he's got to polish it. But the whole, you know, it's, it's such a monotonous process. But through that, he builds such reactions, responses that he uses in the tournament and he wins a tournament yeah, and he lives happily ever ninja- after. <laughs> <laughs> these ninja
1: skills. And just when you mentioned little kids, Dr. how like I was able to witness cute little moments even just yesterday. Like I had this sudden surge of energy to want to declutter the house and I had a podcast interview that I had to edit and put out and I, I couldn't do it by the deadline. I said because my energy was like in the house. It just wanted to have... Everything reset before back to school. And I was almost annoyed when the kids were asking me for stuff to the point where they just figured it out. Like my eight-year-old was helping the five-year-old actually melt chocolate and they had got the strawberries out of the fridge and they were dipping strawberries in chocolate having it, all without asking me for anything. They knew how to put the stove on and everything. And so then my five-year-old was like, Mommy. Um, For my lunchbox, could I just have you know strawberries dipped in chocolate? Like now, it's like a new lunchbox request I'm going to get requests But I felt like in those moments, my heart was so full because I was just able to just slow down and just receive Mm -hmm. them and what they were into, and whether it was playing basketball or just the just observing the siblings and, and how they're interacting with each other, whereas. I, if I looked at myself probably a couple of years ago, I would have been so focused of I'm not there yet or whatever that I I would have missed those moments, you know? And I feel like Allah has been trying to teach me that lesson over the years. And it's come to a point where it's like, I'm content inside and that's a hard, yeah, it can, it can be hard to reach that place, but sometimes it's like, you've got to have the failures and you've got to have the tears and the struggle and discomfort as you said. So that you can go, okay, I'm choosing to make different um, life moves now because Mm -hmm. this previous state wasn't working.
0: Mm. Yeah, sometimes you do. You've got to feel those failures, as you said. Although, is it really a failure? Because we Mm. learn from it. Realizations. Realizations, yeah. So you need to experience those to realize, you know, what you're missing out on in a way. And when you do, and you have, then you start to be present, say, with your children, you just, the feeling it gives you, it's incredible. Um, obviously having a decluttered house can be a very peaceful feeling too. I completely <laughs> I'm like you, clutter stresses me. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, to be able to pause for a moment and say, Wow, this is beautiful. And enjoying their company, their conversations and yeah. letting it to your brain, you know, is a beautiful thing. Yeah. To let ourselves enjoy those moments.
1: Yeah. And and I think one of the things that I appreciate about you is like when you're on social media you always have this like lighthearted way that you express yourself like I love your social media expression especially because there'll be like the deeper vignettes like you know when you talked about when you lost your dad and like the memories you know that came up I, I really appreciated this post where you said um, at one point you were studying and maybe your mom might not have been happy that you weren't helping out in the house as much and she would bring you a cup of tea or a cake or something so you could still keep studying at night and um, your dad sort of interjected saying oh like don't don't be upset with her maybe she'll what was the line that he said could you Say that, yes.
0: Yeah. Well, mom, the thing is, my mum was, uh, you know, poor poor soul. I, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's just
1: like I would have been like pretty
0: knocky. If- <laughs> she had like a grown, you know, adult kids, me, one of them, not helping her around the house. I was always studying, always in my room, <laughs> either at uni or at home, studying like minimal. I mean, and she would be like, You, yeah, what, why are you studying so much? Are you going to become a professor or something? And, my, and I was a very sensitive child. As a child. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I understood where she came from and my dad would be like, you never know, she might become a professor one day. So he had my back on that particular point. Yeah. So having these kind of conversations and it stuck, you know, that particular conversation really stuck. So uh, I
1: remember attending one of your halakas um, through Isra where you actually, he had a vision for you, didn't he? Like, he said something like once you were already in academia he kind of wanted you to go for a particular position <laughs> I kind of vaguely remember you talking about that like, can yeah. you share yeah. with us that scenario because yeah. I thought that that was pretty special because I remember you tearing up because it was I think maybe he had just passed maybe a few months and then you
0: told the story oh my gosh and okay. I happened to be there <laughs> you know, I was just cool. thinking about it it's very interesting yeah. like I'm and this is the beauty, Nadira. Sometimes I get, I'm not a gold it's my personality, goal-driven, but I had my dad in my life who was. Yeah. And sometimes that would prompt me or poke me at a time maybe when I did need to be goal-driven and I would respond to that. So, um And that's where sometimes we need to listen to what's around us as well when it's good for us. But my dad, and I, I joke about this too because I say he used emotional blackmail on me. <laughs>
1: It's like you gave up pharmacy. <laughs> so, is that, in what way?
0: In the sense that, you know, he said, I would really like you to be an associate professor. I would really like to see you to be uh, I would really like to see you as an associate professor before I die. That's quite, you know. Aww. And I was like, okay. and the thing is he wasn't sick then, so it wasn't like a very sad situation. It was like, oh, okay, I've got to now apply for that promotion. It was more that.
1: Right. Gave it gave you a direction, a
0: target. That's which what, a target. You're Left to your yeah. own devices, you to be oh, happy-go-lucky doing your I'm own thing. <laughs> I just keep going, and I mm. actually didn't think uh, I what, would, I was deserved of an associate professor, and maybe this mm. is where imposter syndrome comes into it as well. But I probably wouldn't have applied for many years after, you know, till uh, later, and it would have been delayed basically. So my, yeah, dad said, I would really like to see you as an associate professor before I die. So. I got the application out. It's a grueling process and I went through it. And he, each time he would ask me how I was going with my application, he didn't really understand the system, but he's like, are you writing? Because you know, he thought I had to write, do my homework to get it. Right. I'm like, yes, dad, I'm writing. I'm working on it. It is a process. You got to be patient with me. <laughs> and yeah. And so then I, I did get it. And I still remember when I said to him, dad, I'm an associate professor. In Turkish, it's docent, and I said I'm a docent, and I still remember that smile on his face, uh, oh, Nadir. I still remember, and, and then the, uh, that happened in October, November, and then the next year he actually passed away. It so like, um, it's like
1: his wish, <laughs> and I almost I feel like he's such a visionary in that sense. Like he saw, you know, when your mum was going oh, like what is it? <laughs> you become a professor it's like you never know. <laughs> and he had, like he could see maybe something in you that you weren't willing to accept at the time that you grew into it and look yeah. at you now. Like we get to benefit from all of those seeds that he planted yeah. and that like you're a Jaria for him. That's, for
0: that's, yeah, that's been a big driver for me because yeah. I can add that in when your parent when a parent passes away you always because when you- when they're alive and if you've got a healthy relationship, I know it's not doesn't go for everyone, but you always think what can I do to make their life better, what can I do to make them happy? you know it's a drive that we have when they're alive, but that drive continues when they pass away as well, and that's where the Kajari is like, what can I do um to make his life, and we know that book of deeds of p- a parent remains open in um You know, for any person, the Book of Deeds remains open in three situations, and one of them is a pious child. And so I was like, I have to be that because I want him to continue to benefit from my presence as his child. And that became a driver um, when he passed away. Yeah. yeah,
1: and it's funny how he's still influencing you, yeah. even though he's not here in the three D realm. Uh, but it's like he's still <laughs> not, not not the emotional blackmail. <laughs> <like> but <Robin laughs> it's like, come on,
0: I gotta do more <laughs> <chemotherapy.
1: laughs> <laughs> and he's probably and, smiling.
0: <laughs> yeah, and to me, humour is very important. Like yeah. you know, yeah. I hear I'm talking about, my, and there are yeah. times when I would shed tears about it. Obviously, but. Humor is a way that I maybe, you know, deal with things as well. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, I would crack jokes at the most, maybe <laughs> inappropriate <for some> times. <laughs> times. But it's not done with any disrespect to anyone. Yeah. But, you know, it's to me, that's a part of life. Having a light heart is really important.
1: Yeah. And I feel like um, you can still face the, it's not like we're saying it didn't happen or the difficult thing. Yeah. It didn't come across your path, but they, I think you reach a point of, again, that inner peace where you have processed it enough and you've accepted it and surrendered that this is Allah's will. And then it, it allows you to keep going no matter what it is. And we don't know what people are going through right now, whether it's, you know, whether it's losing a job, losing a loved one, mm-hmm. uh, maybe again, a goal that you had set or a vision that you thought you were going to have in life doesn't happen because Allah, Taala mm-hmm. is trying to, redirect you and say sorry sorry honey not that <laughs> that's not in the cards mm-hmm. to you. it's actually not no, good
0: for that's you. right and all of that's happened to me nadir and that's the thing like it's there's a lot of tears along the way if i could just share that when i was working as a pharmacist i was very um, wanting to buy a pharmacy <laughs> and i yeah well, uh... i just wanted i had this desire to have my own pharmacy and we got so close to buying one actually we even had the contract we signed it and then it didn't come through. Is I it because
1: someone surprised. put like a counteroffer or something and it something just wasn't meant to there. be? It
0: wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, but I was so distraught because, you know, I, I seen it, I visualized myself in it and it didn't happen. And I remember walking past it and crying in public thinking, oh, this was going to be me. But, you know, if I had done that, there's no way I would have gone down this trajectory that I have gone down. So in hindsight, you know, it was a blessing that it didn't happen. And I think that's what I've learned. There is wisdom in everything. Yeah, We don't yeah. always see it at the time. We may not even see it in this lifetime sometimes, some things, yeah. but there is wisdom in everything. And that's what I always try to look for now. Yeah. And it doesn't mean things don't hurt. They do. They still hurt. Even today things might happen. And I think that, ooh, that really hurts but I think there must be wisdom in this. What is it? Let me try to find that.
1: Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing in that is like just feeling disappointment. It's like, it's really bitter. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, oh man, like I wish that person said yes. Or, you know, I wish I I didn't get rejected or Mm -hmm. it was easier than this. Um, And I see it in my kids as well. (laughs) It's so obvious, like the emotion on their face. And then sometimes I'm trying to rush it and try to get them to be happy. And then Mm -hmm. I have to slow down and go, no, like this, it's not that it's, that's not the way, like slow it down, allow them to process it. And all I do sometimes I just scoop my five-year-old up, put him on my lap and Mm -hmm. I just acknowledge his feelings. I was like, you're just really frustrated, aren't you? That you didn't get that. Toy or you couldn't get the Nutella, whatever. It wasn't on special, so Daddy didn't let you buy
0: it. It's just, you know, it's just so <laughs> devastating, isn't I it? Know. and then
1: the tears <laughs> fall yeah. and it's just one cuddle and off he goes. It's like five seconds of just acknowledging that I'm disappointed right now or I'm frustrated right now. Mm-hmm. And no yeah. matter – I think we can sometimes – you know, I guess in our circles, whether it's, you know, in a religious circle, I feel that there's sometimes you can do the whole spiritual bypassing and so they'll say, oh, just take it to Allah or, you know, maybe do that, but then you forget the whole human aspect. That's
0: so We have to give ourselves time to grieve as well. Yeah. And that's why, you know, uh, with a lot of the, I, and you get, sadly you do get that sort of reaction sometimes, well, you know, don't, don't you have a strong faith in Allah? Why are you sad with this? It still hurts. You know, the thing is something still hurts. And we talked about the passing away my dad. It still hurt. I, I shed lots of tears for that because um, it's, it's, you know, sad. You know, you grieve it. You, you still trust in Allah's uh, will mm-hmm. and, you know, what he decides to do. But it's like, you know, the, our Prophet, peace be upon him, when his son passed away and he was actually shedding tears and the companion said, uh, ya Rasulullah, you know, O Prophet of Allah, you're shedding tears as if to say like you kind of like you should know better. Wow. But he's like the eyes shed tears, but the tongue does not say anything that will displease Allah. Yes. So it's as he said, it's human. We will cry when we lose loved ones or when we're disappointed. Um, you know, it's it's part of being a human being and we have to embrace that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm so proud of, um, Dr. Zaleha, like just you having a key and pivotal role in getting this graduate certificate of Islamic psychology out. Like it's so accessible. It's, it's available. Could you talk us through the process of how that came into being? Like if anything you remember from the story of like that origin story of the course or how it came about because I just feel like it's really beautiful like you I feel like you're just a pioneer in the field like a like the sabi Kun, like you go first like you trailblazer and then all these people come after and you create something or you set the foundations where something wasn't there and then you were part of a core team that brought it about could you just talk us through how that comes about like is it do you feel something in your heart? Because this podcast is the Your Truth is Calling podcast. So I was kind of wanting to know what your process is for tuning into that heart guidance when you know, oh, it's time. Allah is talking to me either through people or conversations, or I'm getting, you know, responding to my environment. What was it that was the origin story for that graduate certificate? I feel it's important.
0: Uh- can I just, before that, can I take another uh, t- backtrack? Yeah, a bit? Sure. I feel like they're both important. So you mentioned that I was in leadership a lot and, you know, in positions now. I think, you know, first, you firstly, you've got to realize that you're, you're, um, part of a system, like it's Allah's system, but there's a system. And I think acknowledging that humbles us. Cause if I was to say, I'm where I am because of how hard I worked. That would be inaccurate, I would say. Definitely, I've got to put in the hard, I've got to put in the sweat and tears or hard yards. Um, but I was around say, uh, especially we're talking about genders. If we're talking about genders, I was around males who were willing to empower women. Mm. And I really appreciate that. I know maybe we should, um, we should say so they should, and maybe they should, but we know that the reality is they don't always. And I was in, you know, places where, if my skills were recognised and they were willing to empower me, help you know, facilitate um, or contribute to me being in leadership positions, mm-hmm. so I, I think that realising uh, there are, I guess, different sort of when you're talking, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Different pieces need to come together to, to have a picture, and I guess in a way that's what happened with the graduate certificate in Islamic psychology. And this is why I have to give credit to Hernan Dover. Um she always gets, gives this story, so I don't think she'll mind. She was on in holidays in Bali one day and she was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a graduate certificate in Islamic psychology or uh, <laughs> doing a university yeah. course. So she reached out to uh, Dr. Mehmet and myself, and we thought it was a wonderful idea. So it was actually her idea that came uh-huh. and it really resonated with us. And the more I was involved in it, because I was actually involved in the developing the course documents, and there's a whole lot of, it's almost like a two-year process that you go through with the university to get a course approved. The
1: curriculum design process curriculum to go, design. this is the outcome we want our graduates. With, That's right. What needs to go into the program? Because I studied mm-hmm. curriculum design in 2020, and I'm like, wow, this is like mind-bending stuff. stuff. I feel like my brain's going to mm-hmm. burst. <laughs>
0: curriculum design even before that a business case you've got to put forward to the uni saying you know do you think this will work is there a need uh and then it's got to go through so many meetings so we did all that and um and and so i had i mean i wasn't too exposed to islamic psychology before then but then once we were developing it i thought wow you know there is such a huge overlap between islamic spirituality which is my area and islamic psychology and it's like i found myself in something which felt so organic um so much so that one of the subjects islamic spirituality is part of the grad cert so i teach one of the subjects that are part of it uh, yeah so it just felt so yeah organic organic. that, that i would be in that space um and you know be contributing in that space from the islamic spirituality perspective um so yeah it's been just an amazing journey and I think I've always wanted to go in that direction because as a researcher, you think, what do I research on? Is it, uh, you know, contemporary Islamic state? Is it women in Islam? At one point, is it was a jihad and terrorism? That was so big and it, that didn't really interest me. But I find now that this area, as I read on it, write on it, um, it's just feels just so comfortable and so right. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: and so it's, it's really been quite a journey. It's
1: um, like the but- coming home moment from all the previous iterations of Absolutely. what you did.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: and when yeah. you said uh, research, like, you know, trying to figure out what I want to research, I remember, like this is a share from my perspective, I did like a Bachelor of Commerce, um, for, you know, when I came to Australia as an international student, and I remember just being very disengaged as a uni student, I don't know whether it was something to do with my twenties or the fact that my parents' marriage broke down, like just a few years before that. And I was still processing that. So I don't think I was very present at uni, but I was just wondering what was your time? Like whether it was the young Zaleha, um, deciding, Oh, I'm going to be doing research. Like at some point you had to decide I'm doing a PhD. Right. And then that was the track you were going on. Was that again, like a conscious decision or did someone invite you to be doing it? Or how did that work out? Because research is a huge, it's a huge commitment and undertaking. And I feel intimidated by it, but I just wanted to know for people who are called to that kind of rigor, what was it about research that kind of invited you in? I'm wondering, could you share
0: that? Probably a number of things. One, I had... um you know, I I guess I had this drive to, to, I love reading and I love to learn. So I I guess I saw it as an opportunity to do that. But I guess I also felt like there was a need, like there was yeah. a need, especially on my topic, inner peace. I thought there's so many people, especially in the West, there's so many people who are not happy. And this is, you know, I know this is big now, but this was say 10 years ago thinking or 12 years ago when I started Um why? And I guess I was curious. Curious. Yeah. Curiosity really contributed to it and I wanted to explore it as a result. Right. So curiosity was a big driver and the need, basically. So I'm always Mm -hmm. thinking, what do we need? Like what's the need? Mm. And how can I help in a way? How can I address that need? And if that need uh is aligns with my area of passion or interest or desire then there's like a perfect match
1: yeah they, that's a sweet spot yeah, yeah and I feel like that's how with uh, Dr. Hanan Dover like it, it kind of connected because it's like you're you always have this heartbeat I guess of oh, where can I fulfill this need she probably picked it up and went I need to talk to Dr. Saleha yeah. <laughs> Dr. Memman
0: right. Exactly, because if someone approached me about Islamic finance, I'd be like, "Yeah, no, nah. you know, it's not-, <laughs> <laughs> not my thing." Not my thing. You know, approach. Great idea, but uh, don't know. But Islamic psychology, I thought, wow, you know, it just my eyes lit up, and yeah. and I could see it. You know, I visualized it, and it's um, it's been great. Yeah, been great. there's such a huge need. Yeah, yeah and
1: what's your day-to-day life like Dr. Zaleha as like someone in academia because I feel like there's the academia side of you then and I feel like even though we say oh yeah academia and research yeah there is like you said like you had to put a business case forward um, to the university to have something funded or uh, to say okay we're doing this I also feel like there is pressure in that environment to make targets and numbers and things like that. So is that also part of your role when you're in that level of leadership to look at the numbers and all of that, the business side of running? Yeah, ship? So
0: exactly. It is, you know, in a way a business at the end of the day where your income has to be sufficient to cover the expenses and um, you know we're talking about 19 staff in the center of Islamic Studies or Israel. Let's say Islamic mm-hmm. Science and Research Academy. So you've got to think. Um, I guess it's part of a team. I'm um, part of that leadership, but trying to uh, you know make sure that it is sustainable while we're also growing um, and making sure that we're able to reach out with uh, and create awareness of our courses. So they're the side the of the marketing element. <laughs> basically, the marketing. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, but also the community side, community work, ensuring because we, you know, a big part of what we do is we don't want to just be academics, teaching at university, writing and not having that connection with the community. Yeah. So we do spend a lot of time trying to organize events, um, you know, create events that the community would be interested in because academia is not for everyone. Yes. Um, so I do that supervision takes a bit of my time supervising PhD students. Right. Uh, as well. So uh, teaching, marketing, PhD supervision, community work. Um, <laughs> yeah, they probably take up a fair With bit some of
1: different money. hats. And then you do the occasional halakha if there's not a guest, like you step in to do that, that as well. That's your community that's right. um, outreach. And I feel that's what I love about ISRA because I don't see it as a run of the mill, like just a university setting. Because I, I mean, I went into a setting where I felt like it was us and them, like there was the lecturer and then there was us or you're in a group of like 300 people. And I had come from a very small school where the teacher knows everybody, you're a known entity. And here I felt like I could just hide. Nobody really cares whether I get it or I don't get it. And I felt like I was shrinking away and just not putting my hand up to say, I don't understand that or not going to my tutor and saying, I need help. Um, and actually went through, you know, like I failed a subject. I remember in accounting. I realized accounting is just not my thing. <laughs> it's something else. So, how do you do? You do you also have to look after that side of things with student welfare and things, and like how are students progressing, or is that like a completely different team?
0: right. We, yeah, we do have a student support team that so yeah. they do reach out to students. But I guess part of my role is to make sure that we have a student centric culture. Mm. And you know creating cultures Culture. Oh, yeah, I love this <laughs> creating cultures is harder than telling staff what to do like you can't you can say well take care of your students but you need to create that and you know i I'm blessed uh, we work with colleagues that are just absolutely amazing but it's all about the well-being of our students remind uh, doing our staff through meetings even um you know that. We're doing this because we want our students to strive. We want them to be better. Remembering why they're doing. A lot of our students are studying for self-development purposes, mm. and I remi- remind our staff of that it's hats off to our students. They're committing to a degree. Yeah, you know they could just do, you know, do a search on YouTube and find a lecture and listen to it. But they're committing to a degree. Some might be doing it for profession because they want to be a teacher, but a lot of them are actually wanting to either improve their Arabic. Or they just, you know, want to learn about their dean religion in a structured way, and we have to remember that, be conscious of that, and appreciate that. I guess
1: mm.
0: so, it's um, their
1: own volition, like they're saying, yeah. "I'm putting my
0: hand up to yeah. want to do this." Yeah. So trying to understand where they're coming from, I think, is very important. Rather than saying, "Well, I'm a lecturer; if they need me." you know, they should come. If they don't come, it's their thing. Well, no, they signed up with, to this with a particular intention. And how can we help them to achieve that outcome? Mm. So create. How,
1: how does that go from, okay, that's our intention, to how does that trickle down into like an, could you give us a scenario of like an everyday experience of how culture plays out, in whether it's in the classroom? Is it the kind of questions that the lecturer um, asks or the kind of, yeah, responses they're eliciting, or is it a much more nuanced? And there's ve- lots of things that contribute to cultures. I love this. It's, it's going, the conversation wants to go there. I'm like, okay, I'll just follow this thread. Yeah, there's,
0: <laughs> there's probably uh, a number of things that happen. But for example, we have learning and teaching meetings and one thing that, um, you know, we talked about is how do we maintain, continue to maintain engagement? Cause it's important for us to engage. Yes. And we were sharing and Dr. Sali, he's one of our colleagues. He said, he mentioned, he goes, if one of my students mes- emails me and says, I'm not well, he said, I will make dua for them. So dua supplication for our students is really important. I'm <laughs> the other day we were <laughs> again putting it to a joke because Ahmed, one of our, uh, my colleagues who went to Hajj. I said, did you pray for our students in Hajj? He's like, no, I forgot. And I'm like, <laughs> <you know. laughs>
1: we're so, going to uh, p- discuss that at the next team
0: meeting. That's right. Yeah. The next um, ETRS. we are not
1: going to get your brownies.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> that was one of the KPIs <laughs> back in at Hajj for your students. <laughs> so you know, things like that, or, you know, yeah. Or advising them because they're doing Islamic studies again. If you're ill, read this dua mm-hmm. or, you know, if, you know, if they've got had someone pass away, that's a loved one that's passed away. Like normally, maybe within a university, they might say, okay, fill in this extension request form. We try to reach out to them after, how are you going? How's things? I know you're, um, you know, someone passed away, uh, making dua for them as well and trying to, I guess, provide that support. You know, in a way, spiritual support, I, I suppose, yeah. because you, you see them as more than your students. In a way, you see them like a soul, a soul and as a family, and that's yeah, what something yeah. we do say with we're like a family. We're like I, I was
1: going to say that
0: without you even saying that. I, I was thinking if I had to describe Isra as
1: like yeah, it, it always it already has a heartbeat. I was going to say family is one of their values, yeah. Um even without knowing anything about it, just through just my experience of it from what's out on pictures and socials and seeing all the events and things like that. And even the interaction between, um, yeah, students and staff, it's not just a, you're just a number. Mm -hmm. Like you're you're someone who's valued and who's known. And that's like, I think that's what differentiates um, Mm -hmm. the the academy as well. And that's, that's beautiful because it's not something, and I feel like it's probably a response to Dua as well. And I remember just doing um, an Alama course. And again, it's like you said, like our teachers are praying for us. (laughs) Like that's not something I ever experienced in like a traditional, you know, run of the mill university setting. And that's where I was deeply engaged in my studies up until it got to a point where I was like, I don't feel this is my path. And I had to move away from it. But I really appreciated that yeah. we yeah. were thought about when, yeah, um, our teachers were at the harem and they were doing their umrah, whatever, like yeah. they're always asking, um,
0: yeah, yeah for our and development. That's, and that's part of the Islamic tradition, that relationship between the student and the, the teacher. Um, and I guess we try to bring, like, and you see that in a lot of traditional settings, um, that still exist. And that's where there could be a mismatch between or a, a sever between the traditional setting and the university setting. So I guess in a way we're trying to bring that tra- traditional setting because it's, I can't say we're the only ones that do it. A lot of in the those, as you mentioned, an example of traditional settings that still exists, yes. but we've got to bring that into the university setting as well.
1: Yeah. We do. And that's beautiful. Like even that in itself is um, pioneering in that, right? Because Maybe, like, we're not used to that in Australia. Like, like the, the, the people caring, yeah, that much because it's not the culture,
0: but mm-hmm. you are
1: part of, like, changing the culture to go, no, this is what we're about. And so mm-hmm. it's okay that we don't operate like um, <laughs> this particular aspect of what people think of as this is academia, this mm-hmm. is university. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Dr. Zaleha, for just, like, you know, sharing all of these pieces of how the university functions, how you like, I felt like what you were trying to say was like, there's an ecosystem and you are living, breathing entity within that ecosystem. And wherever Allah wants to place you and pull from, or you're a resource for someone, somebody else, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. And just to not try to go at it with this very fierce, like holding on, um, like you can hold it, but loosely Mm -hmm. because there's like a malleability in like where you're being guided, I feel. And then like you had space to respond to the idea about the graduate certificate and you needed yeah space to probably go, oh, is this something I'd like to do? And you said you like, you had that excitement. It was either in your, like maybe a sparkle in your eyes or your heart lit up um, because it was something you, I, I love what you said, like you were passionate about the the topic um you're interested you had a desire and it all fit and and then that met a need and mm-hmm. it's like Oh, where can i fulfill a need and it it all came and and the fact that it's all about the process <laughs> for mm-hmm. you that mm-hmm. process driven. works for me <laughs> is there any last i don't know final words of wisdom that you want to share with our listeners before we are yeah. complete for today. I'll,
0: I'll uh, say two, if you, if, if you don't mind, two things. One sure. is do what you do with excellence, with Ihsan. I think that's yes. really yes. important. So whatever it is, and it doesn't mean it's going to uh, succeed, mm. succeed. Um, but at least you say I've done my bit and yes. doing giving it what you have and then leaving it to Allah to see where it takes you. But also do our supplication, praying to Allah. I think it's very, very powerful and it's an underutilized tool. So with everything, whether it's our children, whether it's what we want to do, whether we're not sure what we want to do, reach out to the all-powerful one and ask him to help you. Um, and there's, one, a lot of comfort in that, but you will feel that presence when you sincerely make the walk.
1: So, Allah, <laughs> JazakAllah Doctor Zaleha. Thank you for spending your morning with us. For everybody in Melbourne, it's like <laughs> the grand final parade happening <laughs> today, and Doctor Zaleha yeah. with public holiday office. He was- I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, originally the date was when I was on a road trip, and so I just said to Doctor Zaleha, "Can we do the following week?" And it didn't even strike me that. Oh, my goodness, it's a public holiday in Melbourne. So thank you for gifting us your morning. I know mm-hmm. you've got meetings with the Sydney office because they're on a different <laughs> schedule no and <laughs> So this is life <laughs> in academia when you're also working across states and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. make the offer for you that, yeah, there's barakah in your time and that you get to spend lots of time with your family as well and that there's goodness and Khair. In all the projects to come and all the existing ones, inshallah, and may Isra go from strength to strength and yeah, may this be like a huge blessing in the Sadhakud All all of your,
0: you mm-hmm.
1: know, um, I efforts thanks. going. Yeah, also. And
0: thanks for having me. It was a beautiful conversation. Thank
1: (laughs) you. (laughs) You are indeed. (laughs) Asalaamu Alaikum, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Your Truth is Calling podcast. I know that this time in the world is very challenging for a lot of people. We're feeling heavy. Uh, with everything that is happening in Palestine, um, I just want to let you know that the more you can take that time for stillness and contemplation and have those moments of feeling that inner peace, that in itself is helping us as a collective. Uh, It is, you know, that war and peace within uh, where our thoughts are aligned with our heart. If we can have more of that, you're going to feel that. And... um, I'm just glad that, you know, for some for whatever reason, this was the interview that was next in line. We didn't know that this was what was going to be happening in the world at the time of releasing this episode. Inshallah, I hope that it did spark something in you to think about your duas more potently that you know there's always room to deepen those eyes so if this episode touched you in any way we would love you to share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you know when the next episode is up inshallah and um, i just hope that your heart hot as well aslamu alaykum wa